Hello and welcome to the Alcohol Alert, brought to you by the Institute of Alcohol Studies. On this month's podcast, we spoke to Susan Taylor, Head of Alcohol Policy for Balance Northeast, which works to reduce alcohol harm in the northeast of England. We discussed harm in the area and how the region still experiences disproportionate harm compared to other English regions. Listen to the end of the podcast to hear from Dr. Harriet Rumgay from the International Agency for Research on Cancer about her new study which found that alcohol-related cancers cost Europe over 4 billion euros in 2018. But first, here's Susan. Well, I think in the northeast we've suffered from some of the main and major issues linked with alcohol misuse. So, you know, in the northeast we have the highest rates of alcohol-related hospital admissions. We've also got the highest rates of alcohol-specific deaths. So, we don't know necessarily why that is, but for many years now the northeast unfortunately has been a, a bit of an outlier when it comes to alcohol harms. That's interesting because I was going to ask you why has alcohol harm been higher in the northeast for so many years? Do you do you understand the sort of causation at all? Well, I think. You know, we've speculated that there are probably a number of reasons, I think, you know, in terms of demographics, there's a, a relatively less affluent popula- population, I think, in the northeast. So, you know, certainly I think there is that link um, between affluence and alcohol harm. So we know that people in the more deprived communities tend to suffer from greater alcohol harms. I think another issue might be ethnicity. So, you know, clearly in the northeast as well, we have a, a predominantly white British population. Um, and again, there's kind of speculation that that's probably driven some of the alcohol-related figures um, and the fact that we do as a region suffer from some of the greatest alcohol-related harms. I think finally, again, people do um, kind of talk about, I suppose, the, the history and the legacy uh, of industrial development within the region. So this this kind of feeling that people historically have gone out to the pub and particularly kind of males um, working former mining communities and shipbuilding communities and this feeling that actually alcohol has become a really integral part um, of northeast culture but you know clearly it is something as a region that we're looking to challenge um, and really narrow that gap with the rest of England. Also with that industrial aspect that you mentioned the move away from those mining industries and shipbuilding industries well yeah reduction industrialization in the north probably has caused over the decades lots of job losses and sort of entrenching of deprivation I, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, we see a lot of communities, particularly down kind of the East Durham coast and kind of former mining pit villages, um, where there is a lot of deprivation. And, you know, some of that does, I think, fuel um, behavioural issues, not only alcohol use, but also um, use of tobacco and other substances. But, you know, for, for me as well, I think within the northeast, a lot of the new industries that have come in, it's quite interesting. We do see now um, that a lot of the, the kind of telecommunications industries um, and things like that, they are very much fueling a, a kind of culture again where, where drinking is quite common within the um you know socializing after after work and so forth so i think there are a number of reasons within the northeast why drinking is a, a kind of crucial part of the the northeast culture but it is something that we are looking to challenge and we're starting to slowly see some seeds of change so you know i think certainly with balanced campaigns and that the kind of social norm challenging that we like to do um we are starting to see kind of green shoots if you like of improvement and uh, as i say opportunities to try and kind of pull as close to other English regions. I imagine the pandemic hasn't particularly helped with that. It hasn't helped across the whole of the UK. Um, and you yeah, mentioned different English regions as well. How does harm compare in the northeast before the pandemic? 
Well, I think what we've seen, and each year Balance runs a, a, an annual perception survey, and through that we've really been able to probably carry out the, the most insightful and largest um, survey of behaviours during pandemic and post-pandemic. And what we found through the, the kind of pandemic survey was that, interestingly, and I think this is the same across the rest of England, the people or the groups who are drinking the most actually increased their drinking most. So, you know, we, we found, for example, that parents who are drinking at the highest level actually were more likely to increase the drinking. Um, you know, we found that people who were kind of falling probably into that dependent drinker category as well um, also increased their drinking. So, you know, essentially you had the worried well at one end who, who reduced their drinking and then there was this kind of polarisation where, as I say, the people who would be probably concerned most about their, their kind of drinking behaviour started to drink the most. Um, so it has had a really bad knock-on impact, I think, in terms of certainly some of the figures within the northeast. And, you know, probably from 2020 onwards, we have seen that, that kind of spiking of um, alcohol-specific deaths. We've seen more referrals into to local treatment services. Um, so we're starting to see that, that real kind of um, you know, upscaling of harms within the region um, probably is a, a knock-on impact of the pandemic. And has that happened disproportionately in the northeast compared to the to other English regions? Well, as far as I understand, I think it's been a pretty similar picture across England as a whole. So, in terms of figures, that the northeast started obviously at a higher rate. Um, so, proportionately, we we kind of have increased at a, a less high rate than the rest of the country. However, you know, our figures are still much higher. Um, so, you know, undoubtedly, I think it's the region which suffers from the, the greatest harms, particularly in terms of deaths. I think, you know, this gives us really good reasons um, for adopting the kind of evidence-based approach that uh, Balance does. So, you know, for, for us, we feel that actually the, the kind of unprecedented harms within the region are a really good reason for us to be running alcohol awareness campaigns, um, for us to be kind of keeping alcohol in the news um, on a yearly basis and, and really trying to support local partners as well to take the kind of actions that we know do um, reduce alcohol harms. So, you know, again, as part of Balance's work, we, we clearly work very closely with the Alcohol Health Alliance. And actually that as well, I think, is fundamental, um, having the opportunity to, to really kind of advocate for evidence-based approaches, um, which we know do kind of tackle the root causes of alcohol harms. So what are Balance's key policy asks at the moment? And do those differ? I know you said they align with what the AHA says. Do those differ in any ways? Um, to other groups based on the northeast, the sort of differences in the northeast. Yeah, I, I think for me, probably the the key thing is, given that we are the region that suffers from the greatest harms, I think that the kind of key thing is trying to um, ensure that we possibly go further faster than the rest of the country. So, you know, in generic terms, I think our, our policy asks would be very similar. We know that action around price, promotion, availability um, are absolutely crucial in terms of changing that that kind of culture around alcohol use within. The country so you know for us we're, we're always keen to advocate for change in respect to those kind of evidence-based issues so you know a national alcohol strategy which really reduces the uh, I suppose availability the affordability uh, and the promotion of alcohol is our, our ultimate goal but I think you know within the northeast we take a very proactive approach to to trying to reduce the influence that the alcohol industry has so um, we're very keen to to establish the harms associated with alcohol as well. I think a lot of people feel that alcohol is quite a positive thing. And, you know, we do acknowledge that alcohol does have a, a role to play, for example, in economic development. Uh, you know, clearly, again, in the northeast, we have quite a robust nighttime economy. But at the same time, I think ensuring that people have an understanding of the harms, both on that kind of population level, but also on a personal level in terms of their own alcohol use. So, 
I think for us, alcohol awareness campaigns are absolutely fundamental to try and challenge people's behaviour, um, but also in terms of awareness raising. And, you know, from balanced campaign evaluations, we know that when people are aware of alcohol harms, they become much more likely to support the kind of changes that we know have the greatest impact. So, for example, if, if people know that alcohol causes cancer, then they're most likely to support things like minimum unit price. So for us, that's absolutely fundamental to our approach. Yeah, I'd say that's the biggest difference I've sort of seen between Balance's approach and, and other um, public health charities is the is the focus on educational campaigns. So, you, as you mentioned, you do you run the uh, Alcohol Causes Cancer campaign um, every year, which is which is brilliant and and yeah, reaches out to people who um who have a sort of lack of awareness of it. Um, can you explain what this what the intention of the the campaign is and what the sort of um, results have been in the past few years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since I launched in 2009, we've built up um, a great deal of evidence, I guess, around alcohol campaigning. And we're also really lucky that we're commissioned on a joint footprint with um, Fresh, which is a, a tobacco programme in the region. So, you know, we've learned a huge amount from the, the tobacco experience as well. So the thinking behind the alcohol and cancer campaigns is, you know, essentially to raise awareness. We believe that people have the right to know um, that alcohol is a harmful substance and having that right to know then gives them the opportunity to either modify their behaviour um, or support the kind of legislation that we know works. The reason that we focus primarily on cancer, we know that from a tobacco perspective, um, it's been a crucial kind of lever, I guess, in changing people's behaviour. We also know that, I suppose, awareness of the links between alcohol and cancer is incredibly low. So I think nationally, a survey showed a while ago that it was around 17%. Within the northeast, we've managed to get that figure up to about a third of the population and understand those links. But at the same time, it's still really, really low. So, you know, for, for us, fundamentally ensuring that people understand the harms associated with alcohol. Um, and actually, we've done some recent insight work, which shows that cancer is still that lever that is most likely to change behaviour. So... You know, having those kind of campaigns, I think, really empowers the population within the region to try and change behaviour. And I think the most recent evaluation of the uh, the Alcohol Causes Cancer campaign showed that almost half the people who saw the campaign took an action to reduce their consumption as a result. So, you know, for us, having that, that kind of transition from awareness raising to behaviour change has been absolutely fantastic. And we're, we're starting to see now that the campaigns within the region are starting to have that impact in terms of people cutting down. What's your view on sort of complementary policies such as labelling to um, sort of bolster uh, educational campaigns like yours? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, the evidence base around things like labelling is, is really strong. So, you know, for, for us, I think balance as a, a programme couldn't work without a multifaceted approach. We, we adopt a seven-strand approach. Only one of those is media and communications. So the other one's around things like advocacy, supporting local partnerships. Um, and I think all of this goes hand in hand. You know, we, we've heard minimum unit price, for example, talked about as a silver bullet in the past. We know that that's not the case. And we know that the, the kind of integrated evidence-based programme of changes and package of changes would be most effective when it comes to, to kind of shifting people's behaviour when it comes to alcohol. So, you know, for, for me, certainly having that legislative approach from national government is absolutely crucial. And I think, you know, almost more so than campaigns, this is the area that I think balance really feels like we need to prioritise going forward, changing that that kind of national um, behaviour and changing the adult society in which we live is absolutely fundamental to, to kind of shifting social norms as we move forward for children um so yeah that that would be our kind of key goal how engaged is i know you obviously talk of the national government but how engaged is local government in in your policy asks and in your um, campaigns 
Well, I think overall the the, the northeast is a, a very kind of supportive region. Um, you know, we used to be a very homogenous region when it came to to politics. Um, possibly less so nowadays. You know, it's kind of been well documented that the the kind of red wall um, and the new Tory MPs within the region. So it is slightly less kind of politically. Um, homogenous nowadays however I think generally speaking local government is very supportive um, again I think you know there is an acknowledgement that the, the northeast suffers disproportionately from a range of health harms not just associated with alcohol and I think you know certainly as a, a kind of small region um, we are particularly keen to try and um, increase I guess our influence with Westminster and ensure that some of the the issues that are really pertinent to the region are kind of heard um, so yeah, absolutely. I think health is probably one of the, the really kind of fundamental goals um, and the areas that we do need to try and challenge within the northeast. That that kind of link with um, health and deprivation as well it is really fundamental to trying to change uh, and improve the region's health and wealth going forward. What are your thoughts in terms of the next couple of years in terms of potential political change? What would you or what would Balance hope to hope to see in terms of um, party manifestos and also local government uh, movements? Well, I think the interesting thing for me, you know, alcohol doesn't have to be a party political issue. Um, you know, we, we look at some of the all party parliamentary groups and actually there is really good representation from all of the, the main political parties within those kind of groups. And actually, I think, you know, you don't have to be a Conservative MP, a Labour MP to understand that evidence based change can be really empowering for, for kind of local communities who are suffering from really significant harms when it comes to things like alcohol. So. You know, I would absolutely encourage all of the main political parties to look at the evidence base and actually really embrace what does make uh, a big difference when it comes to, to reducing alcohol harms. So, you know, we would clearly like the Labour Party, the Conservative Party, the Lib Dems to include commitments to things like minimum unit price within their manifestos. Um, you know, even kind of the wider prioritisation of public health issues and prevention within the NHS, I think, is absolutely fundamental. Um, so, you know, I, I'm relatively hopeful going forward. I think that we can um, kind of build some consensus around this and hopefully ensure that each of the main political part parties, regardless of, you know, whether they're, they're kind of particular political affiliations, um, do support the kind of changes that we're looking for. Now to hear from Dr Rumgay about her study on alcohol-related cancers in Europe. We've conducted an economic modelling study to try and estimate the economic impact of alcohol-related cancer deaths in Europe. For a bit of background to the study, and as you might already be aware, people in Europe drink more alcohol per person on average than in any other part of the world, and we thought that alcohol consumption in Europe is likely to produce a substantial cost to society through alcohol-related diseases, including cancer, as drinking alcohol increases the risk of seven different cancer types. So in our study, which was published in the journal Cancer Epidemiology, we tried to put a number on how big that cost to society was by calculating the amount of potential income or productivity that was lost due to deaths from cancers caused by drinking alcohol. And to calculate the cost of alcohol-related cancer deaths, we first estimated the number of people who died from cancer caused by drinking alcohol in the EU, plus Iceland, Norway, Switzerland and the UK. We did this by combining information on alcohol consumption in each country with data on the increased risk of developing cancer from drinking alcohol and estimates of the number of deaths from cancer in each country in Europe. We then took the number of cancer deaths which were caused by drinking alcohol and assigned each of those a monetary value depending on the age at death 
and the average amount of income the person would have earned had they lived up to retirement age. And this gave us the loss in productivity. So we estimated that more than 23,000 people aged under 65 in Europe in 2018 died from cancer caused by drinking alcohol. And these 23,000 alcohol-related cancer deaths cost almost 5 billion euros in lost productivity in Europe in 2018. And actually, each cancer death due to drinking alcohol cost approximately 196,000 euros in lost productivity. Um, as we expected, we also found differences in productivity losses between countries in Europe, where countries including Hungary, Romania and Slovakia had the highest cost of productivity lost as a share of their GDP. Um, and these countries also had the highest rates of alcohol-related cancer deaths. Uh, this is just a short summary of our main results, but you can of course check out the full study for more details. Um, but overall, we think that this nearly 5 billion euros in lost productivity represents a huge loss to society, which we believe would be at least double if we were to incorporate other types of productivity losses, um, which could include losses of unpaid work, such as informal care, also income lost through potential time off work or reduced working hours due to the person's symptoms, as well as productivity losses among cancer caregivers, like family members while they accompany cancer patients to treatment, um, but also more direct costs such as the actual cost of diagnosing and treating the patients before death. So we've shown the large cost of alcohol-related cancer in Europe through productivity losses alone, and we want our findings to drive action to reduce the harms and economic impact due to alcohol. We hope that these findings will also bring some more momentum to make further progress with the alcohol-specific objectives in the EU Commission's Beating Cancer Plan and the WHO's Evidence into Action Alcohol Project to promote and support the implementation of effective alcohol policies in Europe. That is all for this month. Thank you for listening and we hope you can join us in next month's podcast.